thankful today that your name is above every name and that there is a day coming in which every knee will bow before you, every tongue will loudly proclaim that you are Christ our Lord. Thank you that you give us the opportunity to make that proclamation even now on this day. And so we pray that you would speak to us now from your spirit through your word and that we would be reminded that Jesus Christ is our Lord. It's in your good name we pray, amen and amen. Take your seat, find your copy of God's word and look with me in the book of Micah. The book of Micah in your Old Testament stuck there in the midst of all the other books that have are pretty short. In this context, the the table of contents is your friend. If you need a little help finding it, no shame in that. The book of Micah, we're going to be looking in Micah chapter 7, and I'm going to read in just a little bit verses 7 verse 8 and verse 9. I want us to focus today on one of the most often overlooked spiritual disciplines that God uses to cause us to be more like Jesus. But I tell you up front, it is among the most overlooked disciplines that God has given us. It's something that many of us don't really think about embracing, much less embracing. It's the idea of feeling broken over our sin. We would much rather maybe think about prayer as a spiritual discipline or Bible study as a spiritual discipline. I mean, those are spiritual disciplines that Even if we get out of the habit of doing them, once we get in the groove of doing them, we sometimes enjoy. But when we think about brokenness before God, it's not something that conjures up uh, a lot of uh, positive, at least at the outset, in our minds, positive emotions. But I want you to think this morning, not from the aspect of the negative side of being broken over our sin before God, but rather I want you to think of the blessing of brokenness before our God. David said this in Psalm chapter 51. He said that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. He said it was a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. A heart that is convicted over sin. A heart that is repentant over sin. A life that is broken over sin is always a sacrifice that God will accept. But I know that for me, and I assume maybe for many of you, our first inclination is to resist this idea of being broken over our sin. And I think we resist it for some reasons that we think are valid, but they're not so much valid. You see, I think we resist this idea because we don't want to admit that we need to be fixed by someone else. At best, we don't see the problem with ourselves. At worst, we think that we can fix ourselves. But have you ever stopped to think, how can that which is broken repair that which is fixed, needs to be fixed? 
And so we are resistant to that idea because we don't really want to admit that we need to be fixed by someone else. Uh, we, I think we falsely believe that, that God's ultimate goal sometimes is to bring us happiness instead of giving us his holiness. Em embracing brokenness isn't necessarily the most happy of activities that you'll do today, yet it's impossible to be holy without embracing brokenness over our sin. We sometimes mistakenly view that which is broken as something which God cannot use. But may I remind you this morning that the only things that God has ever used to accomplish his purpose outside of Jesus are broken things. See, I don't know that we need to worry so much about the sin that's out there as we do the sin that is within here. I don't know if it might behoove us this morning to not worry so much about what our neighbor is doing or not doing as we are wondering what we are doing in our relationship with God. If we're going to talk about this idea of brokenness over our sin, we need to define it. So give me just a second to define this. This definition will be on your screen. When we talk about brokenness over sin, we're talking about a process in which a few things happen. Well, we're talking about a, a process in which, one, a, a person views and understands sin from God's perspective. That is, we see sin as God sees it. And once we have that understanding, we then are led to feel the same way towards sin that God feels. So we first start by believing and, and understanding sin from God's perspective in our mind, and that most our emotions where we feel the same way about sin that God feels. But then that understanding, that feeling about sin, then leads us to respond to sin by repenting of it and by surrendering ourselves to Christ. You see, brokenness isn't just knowing the right thing about sin. Brokenness over sin, it's not just feeling the right way about sin. Brokenness over our sin means that we do something because of what we know to be true and what the, how we feel about sin. Let me give you a, a case that I promise we'll get to Micah in about 45 minutes and we'll, 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 we'll rush right through it. That was a joke, lighten up. <laughs> Look, I, under, I can understand, Florida folks, I understand, I feel it. Auburn folks, you ought to be happy as a lark this morning. You ought to be here offering sacrifices to God, okay? So let, let's, let's think through this a second. Uh, let, let me give you a, a tale of two kings, okay? King David and King Saul. Both men sinned against God. David was a man who took advantage of a woman who used his position as king to force himself upon her and then who to try to cover up his sin had her husband killed and lied and yet David is a man at the end of his life he was considered to be a man after God's own heart. Yet his predecessor King Saul although he had many problems the sin that got him in trouble was that he offered partial obedience to God in a matter, in, in a certain matter. 
From the outside looking in, it didn't look like those two sins, one to us, appeared to be worse than the other, and yet Saul's more, quote-unquote, minor sin ended up costing him his kingdom, his family, and his life. The difference in these, this tale of two kings is related to how they embraced or failed to embrace brokenness over their sin. The difference is that when confronted with his sin, Saul defended himself, Saul excused himself, Saul blamed others, whereas, Jesus, whereas David, when David was confronted with his sin, he was willing to acknowledge his failure, accept personal responsibility for his actions, and repent of his sin. Saul's response came from a, a proud, unbroken heart. David's response came from a humble, broken man whose heart honored God. So you've got one man who sinned greatly but was forgiven of much because he was broken over that sin. You've got another man who wasn't broken over that sin, and we do not esteem him well today. It's all in how we handle <coughs> sin in our lives. Now, when we get to the book of Micah, the big picture in the book of Micah, he's, he's living and preaching in the southern kingdom called Judah. He does that during the reign of three different kings over the span of some 700 years before Jesus is born. One of the main enemies of God's people at this time was a nation named Assyria. Micah watched the Assyrians destroy the capital of the kingdom to his north, the kingdom of Israel. The most destructive enemy of God's people is, was then, and is the same now, and that enemy is sin. You see, Assyria was the problem. God, Assyria was a piece of cake. God wiped out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. What brought Judah and Jerusalem to ruins was their sin. And during this evil and sinful period, God raised up a prophet by the name of Micah, and he gave him the unpopular job of warning the people that their corruption would bring judgment from God if they did not embrace brokenness and repent of their sin. But you know, before they repented of their sin, as we'll see that in just a moment in chapter 7, before they repented of that sin, they, they took a very defiant stance before God. In fact, early in the book in, in Micah chapter 2 and verse 6, the people said, Do not preach. Thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. They said, Oh, this can't happen to us. And, and they said over in chapter 3 and verse 11, they said, Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, It's not the Lord in the midst of us. No disaster shall come upon us. They said, No, hey, we're secure because the Lord's in our midst. They're there's the, the temple. There's the Ark of the Covenant. We're God's covenant people. We have a God of grace. So if God's going to forgive us everything we do, we can go do anything we want to do. Does that sound familiar? I mean, if God's going to forgive me anyway, then why can't I just go out and do whatever I want to do? They, were, they, they began to use the grace of God. But my, how their tune has changed. By the time we get to Micah chapter 7, 
And look at what they say in Micah chapter 7, verses 7, 8, and 9. They have learned how to embrace brokenness. Micah chapter 7, verse 7 says, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. What caused them to get to this point? What moved them from chapter 2, chapter 3 of saying, what's gonna, what, what bad can happen to us? I mean, God's on our side, so we can do what we want to do, and God will take care of us. What moved them from that point to the point where they are willing to say we need to repent. We need to embrace the brokenness of our sin. It's the same thing that must take place in our lives today. I want you to begin to practice this spiritual discipline. My, my, my prayer for you this morning is that we will understand the blessings of brokenness. We will understand the value of being broken over our sin. But how do we get to that point? I'm glad you asked. Three things quickly this morning. First, to embrace brokenness, we must understand the seriousness of sin. If we're going to get to a point to where we can embrace brokenness over our sin, we must understand the seriousness of that sin. Look at what was said in verse 9. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. The people, led by Micah's message, the people came to a point where they understood the seriousness of their sin and they understood the breach of fellowship that sin was causing between them and God. We will never get to a place of brokenness without grasping how serious sin is. How serious is sin? Let me allow the Apostle Paul to answer this question for you. He says in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin, the cost of sin, the penalty of sin is death. Friend, here's how serious sin is. Sin is killing you. Sin is killing you. Sin is killing relationships. Sin is going to kill a cell phone in a second. Sin is causing destruction. That's how serious sin is. What prevents God from using your life for his glory? Sin. What keeps the Spirit of God from falling upon his people? Sin. What will enslave you to an addiction? Sin. What will condemn you to an eternity in hell? Sin. Sin is serious because sin is cosmic treason. It's treason against God of the highest order because God made you. God loved you. God provided everything for you. Yet you chose to reject that love and you chose to seek another God in your life. So I beg you this morning to consider the seriousness of sin. This is the first step to embracing this brokenness that God will use to cause us to be who he's called us to be. You say, Pastor, 
you should not take up a job writing greeting cards for Hallmark because this ain't been too fun so far. But we have to understand the brokenness of our lives before we understand the blessing of that brokenness. Because you see, it's not just that we need to understand the seriousness of our sin. Second, to embrace brokenness, we must cry out to God. When we come to the realization that our sin is serious, we are compelled to cry out to the one against whom we have sinned. I've got some really good news for you this morning because of how broken we are. Here's some really good news to understand is that when we cry out to God in repentance, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he will hear us as it tells us in verse 7. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. When we cry out to God, that is our declaration of dependence upon him. That we're no longer depending upon self, but we are depending upon God for our deliverance. So if you want to embrace brokenness in your life, you need to understand the seriousness of sin. And you need to cry out to God. But thirdly, to embrace brokenness, we must have confidence in the grace of God. I don't know that I have to convince you this morning that you are a sinner. If you need convincing of that, I would encourage you if you're married, ask your spouse, husband, or wife. They will be able to share with you many examples. Ask your children. Children, ask your parents. Ask your neighbor. Ask your pastor. Ask anyone. They'll confirm that we are sinners. And we know that our sin is great. In fact, I don't know of many things greater than my sin except the grace of God. But I have to have confidence in that grace. Look back at verse 8. Which says, Rejoice not over me, O enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I'm in darkness, but God, through his grace, shines a light on me. <clears throat> I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against him until he pleads my cause, until he executes judgment for me. Don't miss that. In, in what's happening, those who experience brokenness, they can rest in the grace of God, believing that this very same God of indignation will plead our cause and bring us from darkness, to, uh, the, from the darkness of judgment to the light of life. That's why in verse 9 you see that there is before the throne of God, the first two lines of that verse 9 talks about our, our brokenness, our contrition, our remorse. The last two lines speak about boldness and confidence, knowing that we are broken under God's indignation, but we are bold in his grace. And, and I don't want to speak something to you this morning. I know we're hitting hard on the idea of sin, and I know we all know that we're sinners, but I, and I want you to understand that, that you have a, an enemy. In fact, you have several enemies. Sometimes we are our own worst enemy. Sometimes our flesh is all that we need to trip us up during the day. But we also have an accuser. We also have someone, an enemy, who, like a roaring lion, is looking for someone to devour. You 
have an enemy this morning who is speaking to you, and he may be speaking truth about your life. He may be reminding you that you're a sinner. He may be reminding you of a failure. He may be reminding you of something that's true in your life, but instead of listening to his lies, instead of listening to his voice, will you this morning tune your ear into the louder voice? Satan may speak truth about your situation, but God speaks grace that overcomes your sin. And our task is to, yes, understand we are sinners. Yes, understand we need a Savior, but to listen more loudly to the declaration of the gospel. Yes, Satan, when he accuses me of my past sin, he may be right. I am a past sinner. I'm a pretty good present sinner. I can do it pretty well, but God speaks louder. There is there, there therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as you hear the reality of your sin, listen more loudly to the grace of God. You see, the darkness that we experience is the darkness of our sin, the darkness of God's indignation. But God himself promised to bring us forth into the light and be our deliverance. When I read verse 8 and 9, when I read how the Micah says in verse 9, he will bring me out to the light. I can't help but think about Jesus when he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. My friend, we can be open, we can be transparent, we can be honest with God about our sin because his grace is sufficient and his grace is greater than our sin. The bottom line this morning is this. God responds when we embrace brokenness. As I was reading through and preparing and, and for this message today, I, uh, I spent some time in Isaiah. Man, I, I hit a verse in Isaiah that I read a hundred times. When I read it this time, uh, I almost had a shouting fit in a good way. Isaiah 57, 15, this is God speaking. God says, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Here, folks, we have a high and holy God who wants to have fellowship with lowly sinners. What a Savior. That this high and holy God would desire broken people. You see, to us, broken things are despised. To us, broken things are viewed as useless. But God can take what has been broken and remake it into something that he can use for his glory. You see, broken things and broken people, they are the result of sin. But God sent his son. Who was without sin? And you know what Jesus came to do? Jesus came to be broken so that he could make whole people who were broken. Let me close by reminding you of something in Jesus' life. Jesus gathered his disciples together on the last night that they would spend together. 
he was soon to head to the cross. His life was to be ended. And yet he gathered those disciples and he took bread. And Scripture says, and that bread, when he broke it, said to them, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. You see, the reason broken things can be made whole is because Jesus was broken for us. The one who was holy and perfectly whole, who had no default or defect about him, was broken so he could make those things that are broken new. If you're here this morning and you're broken, I've got one word for you. You're human. <laughs> because all of us are broken. And all of us need to be moved to a point to where we're broken over our sin. And as our hearts are broken over our sin, we do not give up in despair. Because we rest in the grace of this one who was broken for us. Have you rested in his grace? Has there been a time in your life when you simply cried out and asked God to be your Lord and Savior? That is a gift of his grace. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that it's by grace that we're saved through faith. It's not anything that we do. It's all that Jesus has done. Broken people cannot fix what is broken. But the perfect God who was broken can fix our lives today. Would you bow your head with me right where you are? As your head is bowed and as we prepare for this time of commitment, we're very simply going to ask you the question of where do you stand with God? What is the next step God is calling you to take? Has there ever been a time in your life when you have called out to God, rested in His grace for your salvation? Maybe God today has brought you here. Maybe you walked in already broken. Or maybe while you have been here, God has broken you over your sin. And you wonder, what is your response to that? Your response is to cry out to the one God who was broken for you. To in prayer declare your dependence upon Him. And ask him to make you whole. I don't know what step you need to take today. I don't know what God is calling you to do. Would you simply put your yes on the table to whatever table God has set before you to do what he's calling you to do today? After I pray, we're going to stand and sing. If you need to come to this altar and pray, you pray. If you need to talk to someone, to me or to Randy, our deacons, we, the deacons are around to talk to you, we would love to share more with you about this gospel. Whatever God's calling you to do, simply say yes to him. Father God, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that Jesus, though being perfectly whole, decided voluntarily to come to this earth he was broken over our sin, not his own, our sin. Then his body was broken as the payment, the penalty for our sin. Lord, I pray that we would be people who would be moved to brokenness over sin because it's 
in that brokenness that we find blessing. It's in that brokenness that we find forgiveness. It's in that brokenness that we experience your grace. So whatever you're calling us to do today, Father, may we simply say yes. In the good name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand.